0: And that, my friends, is the sound of another podcast. Peeps! Kenny Molotov here in the studio. Thank you for being here. And we're gonna bring in the bass drum. Here it goes. Oh, so delicious. There's nothing like a good bass drum in an electronic song. You know what I'm saying? So, what's been going on? How you guys been? You guys been well? My name is Kenny Molotov, I'm a professional plumber, I'm a professional magician, I'm a plumbing YouTuber. I'm also, I guess, a magician YouTuber, if that's a thing. Um, If you go down in the links below, in the description, you'll be able to find all the things that I do here. This is my plumbing podcast. This is basically an overview of what I've been doing this week, uh, where my life's been at, what sort of struggles I got into. And then at the end, we're going to look at a couple of articles today. Well, just one article about a company, a plumbing company that uh, Dad and I use quite frequently because we stand by their product. And that's the basic scoop, man. Today is Friday, uh, August 31st. I am home a little bit early today, which is super nice. Uh, I had one of those weeks where I was coming home pretty late. But to be honest, peeps, I've been having that week for a long time now. It's been a few years since I, I've been coming home at a regular time. And I guess, you know what, that, that might be unfair. There were certain times, I remember, in certain years where... Uh, service got really slow for dad and I so there were certain winters or or certain springs where it was like you know we'd have a couple of weeks off uh, where we'd be working you know not a lot like 20-25 hour weeks and then it gets super crazy because everybody wants wants the plumbers all at the same time but here I just want to show you a couple of things this is the very first podcast on this new plumbing podcast channel called Chronicles of a Plumber I had this all on my one plumbing channel, my plumbing YouTube vlog channel, which I do on a week-to-week basis. But because it this was going a bit slow and people weren't really hopping on board, I had to switch channels so that the analytics, it, analytics on the old channel still is okay. So let me just show you a few things. You're watching this on YouTube, but if you just wanted the audio version, I have a solution for you peeps. If you go on to anchor.fm forward slash Kenny Molotov, this is what you're going to see. You're going to see this pretty little face down here, and you've got a bunch of apps that you can actually listen to this on, including Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcast, Radio Public, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Pocket Casts, and Spotify. I know I said CastBox a second ago, so... I'm not totally naive to what I just said. This is cast box, by the way. You can also find me on iTunes. I do a little bit of music as well. You, you'll be able to find my electronic trap song there called Note to Self. So that's something else to keep in mind. And the podcast, as I think I said a second ago, is also on iTunes as well. So take a look at it there. If you just want the audio version and you want to go to work and just listen to me, ramble on about plumbing and plumbing fixtures and whatnot, let's hop onto the YouTube channel. And I'm talking about the main one, the one that's called Kenny Molotov, which is my YouTube channel where I do plumbing vlogs and I do a lot of plumbing Q&As and just plumbing topic videos. This week, I ended up uploading one video called plumbing Q&A number seven, and in that Q&A, I did a bunch of questions that you guys had sent me. Thankfully, I really appreciate that. Um, we're going to go on to Instagram, and I'll show you the little teaser video that I put up on there. By the way, if you haven't already followed me on Instagram and on YouTube and on Facebook, you could find me at uh, Kenny Molotov. Well, here are the links right above me. So that's where you need to find me there if you want to have a day-to-day sort of update of what I'm doing and what's basically been going on in my life Let's jump on to the gram, I think that's what the kids are calling it nowadays, and show you exactly what's been going on. As of Monday, uh, we started work, obviously. Uh, Monday was a chill day, it wasn't too terrible. Tuesday and Wednesday ended up being a rough, and then I'm going to show you. Thursday slowed down a little bit, and then today we did a little bit of work, uh, but I have no pictures of that. But let's just talk about what's been going on. So... We've been uh, with this building, and this building had really, really old toilets. They had like 30-year-old toilets, basically. And the problem is, is that if a building is built and all the toilets go in at the same time and all the flanges and all the gaskets, most importantly, go in at the same time, the life expectancy of those gaskets is typically around the same. So in other words, if you put them in in 2020 and their life expectancy is 10 years, then at 2030, you're going to be looking at a lot of toilets uh, losing their seal around the base, which is going to get it. Uh, it's going to be a little bit hairy if you don't start implementing a at, at least a questionable nudge to the tenants or the owners of these condos and saying, you know, uh, these toilets are ready to go, it's time to sort of change them. And then you talk to a couple of plumbing companies and you say, what's your best deal? And you sort of get a deal for your tenants, uh, basically. And the plumbing company will give you a deal because they're doing like, let's say 25 units, right? So that way they can maybe cut down a little bit on the labor that they charge so you'd get a better price or whatnot. (coughs) <coughs> that's basically the game plan that uh, ended up happening here. We ended up, uh, the uh, the board of directors ended up calling us and saying, hey, look, we have a bunch of old toilets here. Uh, what can you do for us? And Dad and I found a price that uh, they were happy with, and they started offering this price to all the tenants. And we have done a bunch of toilets as of this uh, this summer. This summer, I think we've changed... Just in this place, around 10 to 15 toilets. So it's been really healthy for Dad and I. And it's been something that's been ongoing because not all of the tenants jump on board right away. Of course, you have a couple that just came back from vacation. They didn't know it was going on, sort of thing. And then you have other ones where they were like, nah, it's fine. And then they see their friend who is right across the hall from me and they're like, hey, that's not a bad toilet. So. We ended up installing a couple of these bad boys. And here's an old toilet. I'm trying to pull this, uh, whatchamacallit, this thing behind me. It's called whatever. We ended up installing one toilet this week at this building. So if you take a look here, you're going to see this old guy right here, um, This one isn't actually as old as the other ones that we were installing. The other ones were like 20, 25 years old, 30 years old. It is weird meeting a toilet that's the same age as yourself. And that's exactly the same age as some of these toilets. You'll meet a building the same age as you one day and you'll be like, man, I'm in better shape than this building and I'm definitely in better shape than this toilet right here. So this is what ends up happening, right? So we end up coming in and... As you can see, it's not really shown in this, video, in this uh, picture right here, but you can see behind it that there is a shelf above this toilet. One thing that I learned early on in plumbing is shelving units above toilets can be the death of plumbers. And the reason why (laughs) that happens is because so you take off the bolts at the bottom of these toilets, and then you got to kind of manhandle this toilet, you got to get around it, you got to grab it, especially these really wide looking ones, you got to grab them, and you got to lift them. But in that lifting process, a lot of plumbers, including myself, I have to be honest, have forgotten that there's a shelving unit above. So you lift it, and you stand up with it and you blast your head on the shelving unit right above you peeps let me know if you're if you're a plumber you got to tell me if this has ever happened to you because it can't just be my dad and I blasting our heads on on shelving units that go uh, over toilets so that's something to watch out for something that they don't teach you in your apprenticeship peeps see I'm here, and I'm trying to add value to your life, okay? They ain't going to teach you that in school. You're going to learn that firsthand with a big bump on your head. So this shelving unit didn't get me. I was ready for it. This toilet was a little bit annoying because it's a little bit wide, and it's sort of hard to grab. The worst toilets ever are like this to, to pick up, I'm saying. that That's the standard. To pick up a toilet, the worst ones are one-piece toilets always because for some reason they make them super low and on top of that may make them super wide so it's always really awkward to grab you always got to get gloves and you always got to have two people with you to to be able to do this comfortably if you're going to do it yourself mind your back make sure it's straight that's all i'm going to say so this is the first toilet that we did this week we took this bad boy out this is a typical flange you see and as you see on this flange it's actually a rubber gasket. Oh man, I promised a subscriber I was going to get a rubber gasket um uh what's it called? It's man, I'm at lost for words today. It's called a What's the brand? He was asking a brand. I couldn't figure out the word brand. It's been a long week. You know what I'm saying, peeps? So I got to get brands on the rubber gaskets that we use because what the subscriber was saying, and man, I got to remember who it was. uh, He was saying that basically it was like super difficult where he was to find really good brands of rubber gaskets. I got to take a look at this for a second. We are sitting, by the way, at 1,857 subscribers, which I'm super excited for 2,000. I'm thinking of doing something for you peeps when it hits 2,000. Um, Let me see uh, about this flange or this rubber gasket. What rubber gasket are you using? This is Itasaur. Itasaur, sorry, dude. I promised you I was going to get you a brand from... uh, from the supplier that I have, uh, I didn't do that. So I'm going to definitely try to get that to you. But this is a rubber gasket. A lot of the times you see um, wax gaskets. And we've talked about this at length in the past, essentially. Dad and I are fans of rubber. But we're not knocking the wax, peeps. We also use it in certain scenarios, in certain situations. And this is the new toilet that we installed. This, my friends, is called the Cadet Pro Series by American Standard. They are delicious toilets to install. And I use that adjective because they are, by my standards, probably, or I should say by American standard, probably the most efficient toilet to install. Literally, and I I mean this with all honesty, I'm not trying to exaggerate here, if all the variables are correct with these toilets, you're looking at... A 15-minute install goes in like that, bro. And honestly, I think I've broken that record a couple of times when everything is in its place. And now I say all the variables because you do have a few variables about putting these things in. And, and actually, the variables rely on the existing pipes and the previous toilet. That kind of screw you up. So, for example, if you lift off the toilet and the flange is just looking like crap, you're not going to install this new toilet in 15 minutes because you're going to have to do a repair. That's one thing. Uh, The problem that we found at this building is whoever was installing these toilets before decided to install them and then seal them at the bottom with some sort of, dude, honestly, it was like glue. I don't know if I've ever dealt with anything like this, but it hardened like cement. So you're trying to lift this toilet and it's not coming out. So what you have to do is you got to get a screwdriver, a long one usually, or a spatula or or a scraper, I should say. And you got to start chiseling it out at the bottom until enough of it is free that you can wiggle the rest of it off. That's why these toilets didn't go in really fast in this building because of that stupid glue that this person was using. But at the same time, I mean, I think the reason why they put that glue there was to make sure that that thing wasn't going to wobble. And they were right. Whoever installed that with whatever that sort of epoxy baloney they were using, man, those things were solid. They could withstand nuclear war. But I digress. If all the variables are correct, including the flange, including being able to take out the old toilet, etc., really quick installation. And a couple of things that really um, make this stand out for me than other ones is that when I install these, it's no baloney. There's nothing added to it. It's literally bare bones, but at the same time, there's almost a hint of a plumber helping the design of it. And here's the reason why. If you ever install a flange, or sorry, if you ever install a toilet and you take the toilet bolts and you put them into the flange and the flange isn't secure on the floor, what you're going to notice is those toilet bolts are going to fall down. They're going to fall down into the crevice or whatever area is underneath. And you're going to have a hard time reaching that toilet uh, bolt once the toilet bowl comes on top of it. What's amazing about these toilets is that not only do they, uh, not only are they easy to install, but they actually supply the bolts for you. And they supply a bolt with a very special washer that goes on it that has a thread. And this washer is intended to secure this bolt to the flange before you put on your toilet bowl. And that, my friends, is something my dad and I have been doing for years before installing these guys. So, in other words, what we'll do is we'll take the nuts off these old toilets and we'll keep the nuts so that the next nuts that we use, or sorry, that that sounded weird. So that the next toilet that we install, if we're using our own uh, bolts, we'll be able to put those nuts on and secure them to the flange so that they don't fall through like that. Well... Guess what? American Standard already thought of this. They already decided, you know what? We're going to supply these with the plumbers because this is what the plumbers need. So as soon as you get these uh, two bolts out, you put those washers on, you secure it to the flange, you throw this thing on top with the gasket, you feel the, the compression of the gasket if you're using rubber. And you're good to go, man. And then what's great is then you take the tank and you put it on. And the tank comes with a tool designed so that you can hand-tighten the tank to the bowl. So, peeps, American Standard has thought of everything for the installation process. And for us, it makes a really great difference because everything is sort of easy. And not only that, here's what I love about it. Even though... It is your standard toilet is not too fancy. At the same time, it still looks great and it's still got a really decent life expectancy. And that's why dad and I stand by this toilet. That's why if somebody goes, can you pick up a toilet for us? This is the one we're going to pick up. And a lot of people go, well, is it nice? We go, dude, it's the only one that we love installing because it's so fast. It's so easy. It's so efficient. I've probably installed over 200 of these, honestly. And the way they're designed, they're easy to grab. They're easy to move. Man, I am telling you, I've got a bias here, peeps. And that bias is the American Standard Cadet Pro Toilet is the one dad and I go for. And I can't plug in enough. I love the American Standard Cadet Pro toilet. Now, if you're listening and you're thinking to yourself, Kenny, I got one even better than that. You need to go down in the comments below and let me know which toilet you're talking about so I can take a look at it, okay? And it's got to beat all those things I was just talking about, which include um, really fast installation and it feels like a plumber was helping in the design, okay? Let me know in the comments below. I'd love to know about that. Do you guys love the Cadet Pro? Do you hate it? Come on, talk to me, man. So that was Monday. That's the toilet we installed. Big fan. Second day was Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, we're going through the week. But I just wanted to show you this because this is the video. This was a teaser video that I had put up. Basically doing the Q and A, and these are the questions that I went hey, through. It's getting Molotov here in the house. Just finished work a couple of hours ago. I'm super pumped because we're doing q and A Q&A together, which is something we haven't done in a long while. You guys gave me some awesome questions, and now I'm gonna give you some juicy answers. Let's jump into it. I want to know how the new house is coming along. Can I be a plumber without a driver's license and/or being an ex-felon? Did you get your backflow certification yet? And what's a regular charge for a main sewer stoppage from a clean out access and do you guys open main sewers from roof vents just curious you prefer residential or commercial plumbing how has plumbing changed my life eric olive asks what's your favorite plumbing tool hey kenny hope all is well i'm starting my first term of school for my plumbing apprenticeship at the end of the month what advice can you offer me to get the most out of the next eight weeks in school and i'll see you guys very soon kenny molotov guys peace baby So that was the video I had uploaded. And I want to thank everyone again for giving me those awesome questions. I have a couple of really interesting things that I need to say about a couple of those questions. Uh, Louie the plumber, who had sent me the question about going through roof vents uh, when you're snaking drains. I got to I gotta give some credit to Louie. Um, I had no idea plumbers were going through roof vents honest to god i had no idea uh dad and i have never went through a roof vent in order to access a main stack uh but i also got it verified by another plumber out there josh mcfate josh says he goes through roof vents all the time especially he was saying on uh single floor houses and josh lives in florida So that was really something that was eye-opening to me because that's something Dad and I have never even talked about before. Um, We never have considered going through an event in order to do this. So... What we have definitely done before is um, I did a video once called The Three Worst Drain Calls I've Ever Experienced. Um, and what's interesting about that is that we once went to a, a farmhouse, a house basically that was on a farm and had a septic tank system. And what you notice with the farm was is you walk into the basement and it didn't have cleanouts. the The pipe didn't go into the floor. It actually was running along the the – ceiling of the basement and dad and i weren't able to access any cleanouts, so we had to go two floors up in order to snake it from a toilet flange on the second floor so that's something we've never done but i'm just sitting back thinking what happens if you're not able to access it from either floor how the heck would you go up and do it um so it's something that i'd love to see to be honest um but that's a lot of coil, guys. Don't you have to put tons of coil to get that done, man? Man, you got to bring extra coils for jobs like that for sure. And isn't it dangerous, man? Like you're on a ladder, right? You got to be. And and what Louis was saying, because I, I had a hard time... Figuring out the logistics, I was like Louis, you bring the the K fifteen hundred onto the roof, and Louie's like, no, you got to bring the coil <laughs> onto the roof. Kenny, what what are you what are you smoking, bro? Uh, which makes a lot of sense. Uh, that's what it was freaking me out. I was like, dude, the K fifteen hundred is like a hundred pounds, man. If that thing that thing goes through the roof, it's gonna hurt somebody. If that thing falls on the plumber who's on the ladder, it's gonna hurt somebody. Uh, Josh was saying that. It was actually a K60 he was using, and I think the K60 is is the smaller units. We have a K50, which is a smaller unit, which is like, uh, what is it? It's like a three-quarter coil, I think it is, or, or a half-inch coil, Um Man, but let me know more. That, like I, that's really, really interesting to me. Another thing that uh, was really interesting about this uh, Q and A was that we were talking about whether you can get into plumbing as an ex felon or if you have a record. and the Vens shout out to the Vens as well. The Vens were saying that they know plumbing companies that actually hire ex felons. That's something that uh, that company specifically does. Which is awesome. I think that's a great way uh, to get people back into you know, society. You know, Anyways, that's the small digression. If you haven't seen the video, take a look at it. I, I think there's some really useful information for you. Uh, and again, thank you guys for sending all those awesome, awesome questions. Peeps, let's go into the rough-in. I got to tell you, when I was doing this rough-in, I was on cloud nine. I love doing rough-ins in comparison to doing uh, service work. I, I just realized it. Like, there's a passion that I have about rough-ins because it's so much fun watching a project come to fruition. And I think that's the biggest aspect of plumbing I love the most. The theory's great, yes, but it's like getting your hands on and watching it come come to fruition. So, I had told you in last week's um, podcast that I priced a job for a friend of ours. It's like it's like a friend, but it's their family. You know what I'm saying? So it's a family friend. It's a referred customer. We could definitely go with that. So I priced a job for them. And what ends up happening is, is they go, yeah, let's do it. So I'm supposed to come in when the whatchamacallit, when the uh, when the framing's done. That's when the plumber comes in. Framing first, then the plumber comes in. And they got their framing done like this. They were telling me it's going to take a couple of weeks. They got it done within th- that weekend. So they're like, hey, we're actually done. You want to come by? And thank goodness they did that because they were talking about a couple of weeks. And in a couple of weeks, my dad's uh, he has gone. He's, he's going on vacay. So I was like, oh, man. So all right, let's do it. So I walk in. Everything's ready to go, so I start the rough-in. What I roughed in was essentially two fixtures. The first fixture is a kitchen sink, and the second fixture is a bar sink. And I got a funny story for you guys about this bar sink, okay? So what you're seeing here is the clean-out that uh, I'm connecting into in order to get the kitchen sink in, okay? So this clean-out right here is uh, it's a 3-inch stack, Um And what I ended up doing was putting a TY and a stub out for the kitchen sink itself, and then I had to run a vent. Now, here's the crazy thing, okay? Here in Ontario, there's something called uh, air admittance valve, Many years ago, this air admittance valve was called something a little bit frowned upon in the plumbing community, which I'm sure a lot of you have heard of. It It was called a cheater vent. Now, as the name implies, this vent was not so legally, you know what I'm saying? It was one of those things that you put in, but it wasn't really up to code, but at the same time, it sort of worked pretty good. Now, I walk up to my teacher one day and I go, so cheater vents are illegal, right? He goes, no, actually there is one version of a cheater vent called uh, air admittance valve, which is actually correct, and which is actually up to code. And this air admittance valve basically is a specific size and it's got a mechanism in it that uh, is known to have good standards to it, in other words. So the way an air admittance valve works is you have your valve, and when your fixture discharges, this valve will open for you. So this mechanism will come down, and this mechanism is sort of like a stopper. It sort of plugs a hole. It'll come down as the fixture is discharging because it's sucking air from the vent, and, and when it comes down, it'll suck the air from around it. To help make sure that it protects the trap and it also helps the flow of the water through the pipe and to make sure there's not too much turbulence. That's why we have vents. So it'll suck it and then as soon as the suction is done and the fixture is done discharging, this mechanism will pop back up ever so elegantly. And that is what an air admittance valve basically is. Now, I get to this customer and I say, look. Here's a couple of options because you basically have a stack here and this stack is doing nothing. It, it's, vent, it's venting through the ceiling, uh, sorry, through the roof at some point, but there's no vent to connect this uh, new fixture to. So they're like, okay, what are the options? I go, well, look, there's this uh, air admittance valve. Um, but here's the thing about the air admittance valve that a lot of people get really uncomfortable about. They have a life expectancy uh, at some point that mechanism is going to fail, which means that your flow uh, you might see a difference in flow um, your trap seal might have an issue, etc like there you know that that's one thing that people get nervous about. So uh, these guys opted oh so in order to offset this sort of issue, what a lot of people say is you got to leave a little access door for this thing. So whenever it does malfunction or whenever it does kind of a break on you, you open up this um, man, this door and, and you unscrew the old one and you screw in the new one. That's it. You can swap them out interchangeably like that. Uh, and they opted out for it, which was interesting because it's the cheaper way to go. So instead, I had to run this vent to a... 20 like it was like 30 feet away literally like it was 24 feet from one end of the basement to the other and then i had to run another five feet i ran this vent 30 feet away so they opted for this option even though it was a little bit more money instead of going for the air admittance valve which was really really interesting so that was cool on our part but it was a long run peeps It was a long run to get done. So I had decided to do this roughing in in 2 phases. The first phase was come in and do just the vents and the drains. And then the second phase was to come in and do the water. So we're going to look at just what I did for the drain. So the drain itself is inch and a half. And then we went up to an inch and a half vent. Usually for an inch and a half pipe, you only need an inch and a quarter vent. But as many of you probably already know... uh, Inch-and-a-quarter pipes are actually more expensive in ABS than they are in... Um, than they They're more expensive than an inch-and-a-half pipe. And the reason why that is is because it's more common for plumbers to use inch and a half throughout. So when they had to change the molds from inch and a half to inch and a quarter, uh, there was more labor involved. And they also find that that pipe doesn't get sold a lot. So for those different reasons, uh, plumbers typically just use inch and a half because it's cheaper. And on top of that, inch and a quarter pipe is a little bit more expensive. So it's, it's a really, really interesting, weird sort of conundrum that has occurred in the plumbing community. Um, but... But here we go. Also, another trend that plumbers have done is they typically use 4-inch underground rather than 3-inch. So sometimes if an inspector doesn't know as much, they'll see 3-inch pipes and they'll go, why is this all 3-inch? Normally it's 4. But plumbers, the way they work is, is that if you have one 4-inch stack, it's easier just to go and buy everything 4-inch nonetheless. You can run three-inch pipes underground. That's what I'm trying to say. So I ran an inch and a half vent all the way up and all the way 30 feet away. And the interesting thing on the other side was it was a little bit – it was a little bit difficult to figure it out. I wasn't able to to show it in a picture because it was so dark, but there was a 90 coming down and another, another 90 coming this way into the already existing vent. And I wanted to connect to this 90 right here. So what I ended up doing was cutting this 90 a little bit higher, eliminating it, cutting this one in the middle between Uh, between the 90 and whatever was below it. I think there was another fitting below it. And I ended up putting a coupling here. I ended up putting a 90 a bit higher because I needed to be as high up on the joist as possible in order to run 25 feet uh, to the other side because you still have to put slope on your vent. Another interesting thing about this is that according to code, from what I understand, you don't actually need slope on your vent Uh, So in other words, an inspector will pass it, but it is common practice and good policy to put slope on your vent because um, there's a large chance that stormwater is going to eventually get into it, and you don't want it settling at the bottom of a vent or anything like that and starting to obstruct the vent at all. So. You got to put slope on it just to be sure. So in order to run it 25 feet, I had to make sure that it started up as high as possible because you're running it at an eighth of an inch per foot. So 25 over eight, eight goes into 25 three times. So we dropped about three inches and it's got an inch and a half diameter to it. So it's going to take up a lot of space. So Anyways, you have to make sure that you start up as high as possible in order to lead it down. So I cut this 90 as high as I could. I put in a new one, ran this across into a TY, and then continued it on all the way to the other side. And that's how I connected the vent essentially. So that's something interesting to talk about. Uh, also, by the way, also what I had to do, you see this 45 offset on this three inch pipe? Well, this 45 offset was actually way higher. It was probably about a foot to two feet higher. And what the carpenter had said, the moment he looked at it, he goes, look, that's going to be really hard to put your cabinets in if that 45 offset is going to be that high. So after I installed this TY right here, which takes in the, um, the drainage water from the the so basically the rough in for your kitchen sink I immediately did a 45 degree offset so it's really low so that you can get a cabinet in still if you need it to which is essentially what's going to happen and I think I got another angle of this and I also angled the vent to go really almost parallel towards this 45 degree offset with the stack right there and that is basically what I did that first day. And then I ran this thing 24, uh, 25 feet across the basement in the ceiling joists and, uh, five feet across to get to that, that ceiling joist. Okay. So that was, uh, Tuesday, Tuesday, I spent all day doing that. Um, and then I also roughed in the, uh, the, the bar sink on Tuesday, but I didn't take a picture of that. Let's get on to Wednesday. Wednesday is when I started doing all the copper and all the PEX. So that's another thing that we brought forward to the the the, the couple that we were helping and installing this for. Um, we essentially gave them the option to go with either copper or PEX. And what's interesting is they were really opposed to PEX. Now the thing is, is I understand. Old school is of the thought that they constantly saw copper. They don't want some crappy stuff coming into their house that they're going to have to replace in a couple of years. I get that completely, but it, it is important to remind your customer, look, these are competing materials and actually one is way cheaper than the other. We threw in PEX, man, and PEX goes so damn fast and HG underscore 10X, man, nailed it. How bomb is PEX compared to copper? Dude, it's so bomb. You move so fast with it, man. Like, it, you just fly through things because of it. And it was really, really fun uh, doing PEX because when you're moving that fast, you feel like you're on top of the world, man, honestly. So... They, they opted for the pecs because they saw the difference in prices for us. Uh, but what this picture here is, is a bunch of copper fittings. And you might be thinking to yourself, if you haven't done a roughing before, why is there so much copper fittings? Well, you still got to sort of set up the copper in order to introduce the pecs into the system. And what you're seeing here is a bunch of copper 90s, a couple of copper T's, and a bunch of small little copper nipples, as we call them in the industry. And then right here, these brass pieces right here are the adapter from copper to PEX. So as you see here, you have a half-inch connection which will slip over the copper pipe. And then this little nub or knob or whatever you want to call this, this toothed area is where you connect your PEX pipe. So your PEX pipe will come over it and then you'll crimp a... Uh, ring on top of that and it will Not be able to dislodge from the connection and that's basically how it works So moving forward. I want to show you exactly what the game plan was and what I did so as you see in this corner over here what they wanted to do, the reason why they wanted to do this first and foremost was because uh, the copper pipes that were there initially were actually getting in the way of the framing. So they're like, is there any way we can sort of maneuver the pipes any sort of which way? So Dad and I came up with this idea, okay, look, since we're already introducing PEX, why don't we move it up into the ceiling joist, and uh, then connect uh, PEX into it afterwards to bring out for the rough end? Dad and I said, you know, that's probably the best way. And they were like, okay, go for it. So you got to imagine that these two copper lines didn't have uh, 90s facing upwards, okay? So they just had a straight piece that walked right across these two joists right here and were actually strapped to these two joists right here. And as you see on the bottom right here, you see a piece of wood that's part of the framing. They wanted to send another two by four this way, part of the framing as well, but they couldn't because these pipes were obstructing. So, Dad and I decided what we're going to do is we're going to send a 90 up and a 90 out and then put that adapter, the PEX to copper adapter, there and solder those things together. Drill a couple of holes in the first one. And then on the second one, instead of drilling two flat holes with the wood, we did angular holes with the wood so that this uh, nice curve can take place ever so elegantly so what would have had to happen if we didn't do it that way and if we drilled it like these two on the right here is if we drilled them flat we would have had to run these straight and we would have had to put a couple of 90 joints here uh <laughs> You know what I mean by joint. We would have had to put a couple of elbows here and crimp those and then run it across. But the thing is when you're dealing with pecs is the way plumbers look at it is the more joints that you add into the PEX system, the more opportunity it is for something to leak. So, Although it's not frowned upon, uh, the policy is the least amount of joints as possible is probably the best way to go, which makes a lot of sense, which is why we drilled these two holes in on an angle in order to get that pipe in nice and smooth. So, peeps, that all took place that day, but here's the next connection that basically took place. If you take a look here. Oh, did I not show the connection? No. Why did I heart my own thing? Hold on. Oh man, I didn't. I didn't show you a picture. I forgot to add in a picture. Here's here's essentially what ended up happening. So silly of me. Okay, so right up in here, I ended up cutting these two pipes. This was obviously before water was introduced into the system. I cut these two pipes and put in two PEX T's, and these two PEX T's were run down. And this is the same rough-in that we were just looking at for the kitchen sink. They were run down with a hot hot pipe and a cold pipe. And then I just strapped it uh, to the pipe itself so that when the drywaller comes in and after the framer does and puts it in, uh, the drywaller knows to leave a big enough hole so that all these things can still fit together. Um, yeah, and that's basically what happened. And what, what you see over here is essentially the, the rough-in for the bar sink that they wanted to add in which is in the middle of the um in the middle of the basement right here and i ran hot and cold basically right there now quick conversation that i wanted to have with you guys about this thing something a little bit crazy happened so (laughs) have you ever shopped for a bar sink because i want to tell you what it's like here in canada it's not easy finding a bar sink Here's, here's what ends up happening. So um, the owner basically turns to me and says, look, I've been looking for a bar sink everywhere. Do you guys know where to get one? And he said he went to Lowe's. He went to Home Depot, all the hardware stores. They don't have them. They don't have these small sinks, basically stainless steel. You're looking at 14 inches by 10 inches, tiny sinks. He goes, I can't find any. What's going on? So I said, look, we, we actually do know uh where to get a bar sink but you gotta keep in mind it's a specialty shop and his wife uh, was there and she goes um I, and he was saying yeah look if you find it just pick it up let's go and his wife turns to him she goes look it's a specialty shop uh if it's like 400 bucks forget it sort of thing and he's like no it's not gonna be 400 bucks what are you talking about and he was coming down hard on her and i said no actually she's got a point specialty shops typically are more expensive because they're bringing stuff in that nobody else has first of all and second of all um the reason why nobody else supplies them a lot of times is because uh they might be more expensive in the labor and not worth it to sell so he goes all right whatever just just find out so guess what i go to this specialty shop the following day to look at a sink that's four inches 14 inches by 10 inches I want you to just guess. Just just throw a number out there right now. I want you to go down in the comments below. Tell me a number you think is going to be the number for a bar sink that's 10 inches by 14 inches wide. Tell me a number because I'm telling you this blew everybody's mind. So if you got your number down, I'm about to tell you what the price was. I called the guy. I said, look, you're looking at Blah, blah, blah. He goes, $128, pick it up. I said, no, not 100 $728 for a sink this big, bro. It was tiny, tiny. You can buy a double compartment sink for half of that. And he was really upset. Uh, almost upset to the point, I wasn't sure if he thought I was ripping him off or somebody else was ripping him off, but that was super weird. A sink that small to be that expensive uh, like I said, I, I get it. I, I sort of expect it from specialty shops because that's that's typically what, what happens when you get specialized things like that. And what I mean by spe- uh, specialty shops is this, this company will supply um, kitchen faucets. And I don't mean uh, house kitchen faucets. I don't mean domestic. I mean uh, commercial kitchen faucets. And if you look at those kitchen faucets, you're looking at like $800, 900 a pop uh, because they have a regular faucet with a nozzle. Yeah, nozzle. And then they also have this larger portion which with that spray one. And those are like $900 a pop. Really beautiful, but super expensive. So when you deal with specialty shops like that, they typically are made for a commercial, at least this was made for a commercial manifestation of plumbing. So I think they can charge more because they are charging a business, right? So in their minds they are like, okay, we're bumping up the price. But when you're dealing with a, a homeowner, and they want just a tiny sink in their basement. Man, It, it's devastating. And he goes, I'm going to try to figure something out. I don't know if he's going to find one that fell off a truck. I really don't know what the game plan is for this gentleman right here. But he was severely disappointed, as was I, because it was a cute little sink, man. And I want to show you one last thing. Oh, by the way, I got to refresh this feed because I just put something up. Yeah, yeah, we got one more picture. <clears throat> this, my friends... This is one of those variables I was talking to you about, which you'll run in from time to time, which will stop you from installing a toilet again, or which will be the main reason why the toilet is leaking. This, my friends, is a messed up flange. And the thing is, as I said in this little description right here, I used to be horrified by flanges that looked this bad. I'm getting better, I guess. And the reason why I say I'm getting better, I guess, is because I look at flanges like this and they don't scare me as much anymore because I know what to do. I know what the repair kit is. I know the tools that I need, etc. But you see this little, little massive gap. I know that was a juxtaposition. You see this ginormous gap right here and how it bows a little bit. It's not supposed to bow like that. You see the one on the other side and how it's like even worse? It bows even worse. It's not supposed to do that either. It's supposed to be flush with the ground. It's supposed to be parallel to the ground. And that's a clear indication of nut abuse or bolt abuse by implementing or over-tightening the nut. They over tighten this toilet so much essentially that it deformed the, the flange, um, and that is just abuse, my friends, and and this comes from the foundation, and what I mean by foundation is the tile, the floor, the floor itself was not level, so the way the toilet sat was, it was constantly wobbling, so when you have a wobbly toilet, people's first thought is, okay, let's start cranking these bolts, man, and that's exactly what they were doing, and for years, it's just been slowly deforming this thing over and over and over again and people have been sitting on this toilet and it's been wiggling so it's been pulling on these bolts and pulling on the nuts and it's just been causing it's a formula for disaster man so the plumber comes in and goes what the hell am i getting myself into so here's the interesting part so this red thing is a repair kit all right this is not the way the flange initially looked it's not usually red um Unless you're dealing with a brass one, but even the brass ones aren't red. The brass ones are typically brass colored, if you know what I'm saying. Um, So this was a repair kit. Underneath is a flange that is ABS. And the flange that was ABS is completely destroyed. Here's another angle of this horrific scene. Um, This is the before. This is with the repair kit off. So we took this red piece off that was bowed. And this is what you see. You see this entire slot right here that's gone? That used to be flanged. That used to be where the bolts went for the toilet. That got completely ripped out at one point. And you see this little thing right here that looks like an oval thing? That used to be the other slot for the bolt, and that got ripped out at one point as well. So somebody had to put a repair kit, which is something that you're supposed to do. So they did the right thing there. The only thing is, is that they didn't uh, fix the initial issue which is the floor. Now, you can't always fix the floor, but there are a couple of things that you can do to make sure your toilet's not wobbling so that you don't put the stress on the bolts. So, first things first, Dad and I see this. We both start weeping, and we realize it's going to be way worse. This, this magnified on me for no reason. And we realize it's going to take way longer, and it's going to be more material and more time, but at the same time, we're prepared for it and we're like okay we're doing this so here's what happens we take off the the repair kit and i drilled four holes into this flange right here we drill them pretty pretty deep and you do need a hammer drill in order to do this because there is cement underneath this flange okay if you take a look over here this is what i used as a template to drill those holes so you see the four holes there well i just put it over this flange right here drilled four holes, made sure that they went deep enough because you see this little screw right here? That is a cement screw, my friend, and that is going to go straight into the repair kit flange and into the cement below, and this is what you see afterwards. So you have this really pretty sight. We had to put these bolts in first. Uh, to make sure that they were in. Because they were a little bit hard to wiggle in after that. But that's what we had to do. That took a good half an hour to 45 minutes of time. And that was basically having to run to the truck. And grab tools. Come back. Uh, make sure that we had everything in stock basically. And then finally. Finally. Once you do that. Then it's back to the basic installation of the toilet. Which is. Bam. Bam. So. The way this worked out is is this customer of ours called us and said, look, we need new toilets. Now, this right here, my friends, is not a Cadet Pro toilet. This is a pressure-assist toilet, uh, and I think it is also American Standard, and we can double-check about that a bit later. These toilets are awesome. But a pressure assist toilet, I think I did a podcast about this. I'm not sure if I uploaded it, but we did a podcast about it. I'll, do, I'll actually look this up today too. This has a bladder on the inside. I think it's called a bladder. Yeah, it essentially, what it does is it creates pressure in the tank so that when you hit the, the lever, And it discharges. It discharges with great pressure. And it basically shoots whatever is inside down this pipe. You know what I'm saying? So this uh, customer of ours owns a restaurant. And he was saying, you know, he has problems from time to time about drains. And uh, he's really worried. Is there anything that we can do about it? Dad goes, pressure assist. Don't even think twice about it. Pressure assist. Only thing is, dude, these toilets are like 800 bucks, man. They're not cheap. So, uh... People are really apprehensive at first when you tell them the price. They're like, "Man, you're look. We're looking at a lot of money here." Um, yeah, you are, unfortunately, but it is a product worth investing in if you have a problem with slow toilets. Because you gotta imagine, you don't know what your customers throwing down the toilet. There are a lot of customers that are respectful and whatnot, but every once in a while, an accident will occur and they'll drop something they shouldn't drop. As it's flushing and then it's a game over for you, in comes the plumber, In out goes the money to the plumber. Um, and sometimes you have toilets that just do not flush well at all. And what I mean by that is that they're old and they spin forever, which is a problem with the flush mechanism and whatnot. And uh, look, if you're dealing with a commercial uh, manifestation of plumbing, dude, it's just uh, always a good idea to get pressure-assist toilets. They are... The superior product, yes, you're paying a ton of money, but man, is it worth it. So this customer called us, asked us to install two pressure assist toilets. This is the one that we installed in the handicap washroom. And the reason why this was also expensive was because this is an elongated and uh, a larger height uh, Tank or bowl, I should say. Um, it's handicap height essentially, and uh, in in handicap toilets, in handicap washrooms, you have to put these toilets in. It's by code. If you don't have these in, basically, an inspector can walk in and force you to uh, put one in, or else um, they can shut down your operation if you don't. Basically, so that's what we did that day with that horrific flange, and actually, it was a pretty long day. Um, and we did a couple of, one more thing. We installed some delicious cast iron, boy. Uh, looks good enough to eat. Thank you, Impetus, Panned, H. Paul, Plumber Saul, nice work, Kenny. Shout out to both of you guys. Uh, you, you both are individuals I, I see on a regular basis on Instagram. And I always, uh, love your stories, to be honest. Uh, Plumber Saul showed a flange today. Oh, no, he showed a, 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 a. A toilet pipe. (laughs) If I can find it, I'm going to show you guys. But uh, we did some cast iron work basically uh, yesterday. Um, What you're looking at here is where clean out used to be. These are storm – no, there's – yes, they're storm drains. But they're a sanitary system as well. And the reason why that is is because – no. No, no, let's, let's get correct. Let's get specific about this. These are sanitary drains, which means that they need to go to the sewage treatment plant. And the reason why they're sanitary drains is because they connect to the catch basins in a parking lot. That's what they are, friends. They're not storm drains. So what these will do is uh, collect all the water that goes into a... A garage so let's say it's snowing outside uh, your car comes in with the snow and it's hot in the parking garage so it warms up your car the snow melts all that water gets tapered uh, towards um, the catch basins the catch basins will collect this water send it through the drain and essentially go in to the sewage treatment plant at some point it'll go into the manhole which will go into the sewage treatment plant so that's what we're looking at here so like I was showing you, I, there's a video I have of me basically cha- um, changing out a bunch of this. And Bibby St. Croix, who supplies the or manufactures these pipes, uh, sent me a shout out once basically going, Hey, we saw your video and uh, you were talking about uh, cast iron pipes, blah, blah, blah. Um, I did it on another podcast. <coughs> oh, my throat is so dry. I talked about it on another podcast, so that's what we're doing. We're changing out cast iron. So this right here is a clean out, a cast iron clean out. And if you don't know already, a clean out is essentially an area that you can open up a drain to access it, usually with a drain machine or to look in if you're sort of inspecting things and you usually put these at the base of every stack and that's what we did. And this is, uh, there's two B's here standing for Bibby and then if you continue on upwards you see we have another cast iron pipe which says Bibby on the side as well and Bibby St. Croix is a I think it's a Canadian company uh, but it's also got roots in America as well and they manufacture cast iron pipes essentially and like I said they they sent me a shout out once which is really nice and they sent me some merch actually I got some Bibby St. Croix shirts in this house right here so That was the week of plumbing, and what I wanted to do was talk to you guys about the American Standard Cadet Pro Toilet, which I plugged like a maniac, I know, but I got to show you it. I got to talk to you about it because it is the toilet of our dreams, and this is basically what this guy looks like. This is the Cadet Pro Compact Right Height. They're a bit expensive on this. I guess dad and I get them at cheaper prices uh, because they're sort of wholesale. Like when you go to a supplier, it's like a wholesaler essentially. You get them a bit cheaper. So as a business, you can mark it up a little bit and then sell it to the uh, the customer. <clears throat> and what's interesting is that I've never seen these triangular ones. There are a couple of triangular tanks right here that I've never seen before. Uh but I'm gonna see if I can find the one we typically get. Ten-inch roughins are actually expensive to get in some toilets. Uh, there are roughin that a lot of people, for some reason, we we typically get twelve-inch roughins. Um, anyways, that's just some something. Uh, I think we go for this Cadet Pro round front, four-point-eight liter. This is the guy that we typically go for. And, man, he's just so fast to install. Another thing that I love about these toilets, I got to say, is that you see these two caps, this cap right here? Because they supply the bolt for you with that special washer and then additional... um, they, They also supply two caps with additional nuts. But these are plastic nuts that you rotate with your hand. And they got this awesome triangular groove to it where you, you use three fingers just to crank it and it's just so perfect because after that you have a cap and they made these caps really long so that despite whatever the height your bolt is at it can go over it. Now, typically what you have to do when you're supplying your own bolts is that you have to take your bolt after you have tightened the toilet down and you now have to cut these bolts with a junior hacksaw to make sure that the cap can get over it. But they already thought about that, peeps. They already thought about it, which is why I'm thinking to myself, man, that is probably a plumber telling them what the heck's going on and what's the most annoying thing about installing toilets. So they figured it out. And they said to themselves, look, why don't we just help the plumber out or the installer out and make it easy? And that's exactly what they did. So this is the bad boy that I'm absolutely in love with. This is the one Dad and I go to immediately when we have to install toilets and people tell us to pick them up. We go, this is the guy. This is the one we do. It's not fancy, but it still looks good. And boy, is it just great to install And the best part about it, peeps, is that you can get parts for these toilets. That's the most important. A lot of people in our history have gotten really fancy toilets from, like, Germany and whatnot. And, look, it's great when they're working fantastic. But, look, if you can't get parts for it, you're just wasting. You're wasting a bunch of money the next time because, look— Let's say anything malfunctions with this toilet, we can still put in a universal uh, fill valve. We can still put in one of our universal flappers. They're just super easy to take care of and uh, service when you need to. So that's just another aspect that makes them superior in our in our thoughts. Like, think about it. The next time this something goes wrong with this and you can't order parts, or well, you're gonna buy you're gonna buy a brand new toilet with this, man. You're just Basically, uh, <clears throat> being charged a service call in comparison to like a $400, 500 toilet. So I wanted to look up American Standard real quick. And then I wanted to also look up the, the uh, pressure assist toilets because they're a lot of fun as well, which is the second picture that I showed you today. American Standard Brands is a North American manufacturer of plumbing fixtures sold under the American Standard Crane Flat. Sani Metal and Showright names based in Piscataway, New Jersey, United States. Cool. The company was formed as American Standard Americas from the North American operations of the kitchen and bathroom division of the American Standard Companies during a breakup of the company in 2007, not too long ago. Crane Plumbing and Elger were merged into the company in 2008, creating the group American Standard Brands. It is principally owned by the Ligsil Group with Bain Capital Partners holding a minority stake. In 2015, American Standard was recognized for the top spot for brand familiarity in bathroom accessories category by the Builder magazine. And I got to say, it's a big name. A lot of people do know it. So that sounds like a statistic that makes sense. On February 1st, 2007, American Standard Companies announced it would break up its three divisions. The plan included the sale of Kitchen and Bath Division and spin-off of Wabco, American Standard Vehicle Controls Division, while retaining the train company. On October 31st, 2007, American Standard Coes announced it has completed the sale of the Kitchen and Bath Division to Bain Capital Partners, LLC. This includes the sale of American Standard name to Bain, while American Standard retained the rights to use the American Standard name for HVAC products. American Standard changed this name to Train on November 28, 2007. Bain Capital created American Standard Americas from the North American units of the Bath and Kitchen business units acquired from American Standard companies. These sentences are really convoluted. Just because you're using American Standard so many times, Bain sold a majority stake in American Standard Americas to Sun Capital Partners on November 27, 2007. In February 2008, American Standard Americas merged with two other plumbing fixture companies, Crane Plumbing and Elger, to create American Standard Brands. Oh boy! So they still want to basically keep the American standard name, essentially, but in doing so, uh, they've made uh, a bunch of different other subnames to to be able to continue it on. American Standard brands donate over 1500, plumbing fixtures and accessory to SBP towards Hurricane Katrina Relief work in 2011. Oh, man, that's really nice. In 2013, the Japanese firm Lixil agreed to purchase American Standard Brands from Sun Capital Partners, thus positioning Lixil to benefit from an anticipated recovery in the American housing market. Two months after its acquisition by Lixil, American Standard Brands unveiled a new logo. Alrighty, so that's a little bit of background about American Standard. And what I want to look up briefly before we go is the uh, pressure assist toilet here it is from the outside toilets can take on many appearances they can use an elongated bowl for example or use a sleek one-piece design inside inside though the working guts of the toilet will use one of only two designs either the toilet will use a traditional gravity flow operation or it will use pressure assisted mechanism is that true is it only down to two Pressure assist models are usually found in commercial settings like restaurants, although they are starting to become more common in residential bathrooms. Power assist toilets are based on a tank inside tank model. As water pumps into the tank toilet tank from the water supply valve, it creates air pressure in the tank chamber. This sets the stage for a slightly different type of flush cycle that will occur in a gravity flow toilet. Ah. So they're implementing the pressure from the city, which is coming into the toilet, to actually add a little bit of a boost inside the toilet. That's pretty cool. When a pressure-assist toilet is flushed, the compressed air in the air chamber is released, which makes it goes. Whoosh. that was like spot on uh sound effects right there with the pressure joining the force of gravity the downward flushes somewhat explosively into a very quick and efficient emptying of the toilet bowl it's almost as aggressive as when you go to a restaurant that has a flush flush valve so it's the ones that you have to grab and you have to pull down on the lever like this which also has a really strong flush as well Um, You might think this would make pressure-assist toilets very popular, popular, but the backdraw is that the explosive flush can be quite loud, which is enough to dissuade many people from wanting such a toilet in the home. Another drawback for many homeowners is that the mechanism seems unusual and may be hard to purchase. In reality, however, a pressure-assist toilet mechanism is relatively simple, consisting only of a sealed plastic drum. A flush cartridge and a water intake valve. While all manufacturers of pressure-assist toilets use identical parts, um, most hardware stores don't carry them. And although plumbing supply houses carry the repair parts, they are very rarely sold to non plumbers. Interesting. They're also a more expensive toilet, so you wouldn't. W- you what this is saying is you wouldn't use them in a residential application because. A lot of residences have um, ABS or plastic pipe. And the way plastic pipes work is that they're pretty damn loud. Even with regular toilets, it sounds like you're being flushed upon sometimes. And that has a lot to do with the way people insulate their, their homes or, or the way builders insulate the homes, I should say. And also the materials that were being used so for example they used to use cast iron in houses but because it's just cheaper they don't typically anymore unless you're asked or unless you're asking for it at least in north america from what i understand um but cast iron's super quiet that's one of the benefits to using it is it's the quiet pipe it's got a very large wall thickness and that wall thickness absorbs the sound really nicely and that's why they put them in uh high-rise buildings because it would be super loud if it was just plastic pipes everywhere at least that's what i understand i i also do see plastic pipe in uh high-rise building xfr like uh we talked about in another uh podcast um which is the fire rated type of plastic you're not allowed to use abs for that reason um yeah and that's what a pressure assist toilet is and that's what we also installed this week so peeps that was a full week of plumbing thank you for listening thank you for being here uh thank you for supporting the channel this is the new youtube channel that you're looking at right here um and of course once again you can find me on all these different uh avenues anchor breaker google podcast radio public stitcher apple podcast Castbox, pocket i said it again cast box pocket casts spotify um you can find me at chronicles of a plumber on youtube you could also find my vlogging channel which i update uh, more often which is just kenny molotov on youtube And you can find me on Instagram as Molotov Plumbing and Kenny Molotov. Everything is in the links below. You can find me there. I appreciate all your support and your love. Thank you for being here on this journey. Thank you for all your comments below. And I'll see you guys very soon. Kenny Molotov, guys. Peace, baby.